Today on episode 53 of BRC and Friends, Amy Kim and I are joined by Dr. Angelica Jell Cortez. She's a strategist, cultural worker, and civic innovator, recognized as one of Silicon Valley's 40 Under 40. She's the founder and executive director of Lead Filipino, a nonprofit that organizes for Filipinx American civic participation, grassroots leadership, and direct action out of San Jose. Since 2015, she has led major campaigns and initiatives to increase the representation of PhilAms in public service. Jill currently resides in Eastside San Jose and has a damn cute fur baby, Soul. And she jumps right in with the shenanigans that is BRC and Friends. And you will hear the sheer disappointment that I did not take Amy Kim to Jollibee's during her last visit. We had a great time getting to know her. Uh, side note, this is the first of a bunch of episodes featuring Filipinx folks as part of Filipino American History Month. But really, because I'm Filipino, you get that every episode. But uh, founded by the Filipino American National History Society, Filipino American History Month focuses on historic events and happenings that have shaped our community. And so I hope you will check out the hashtag Filipino American History Month for all the going ons in your community around the country. Side note too, unfortunately, we had a little mic trouble with Amy Kim. So apologize for uh, the sound today on this episode. We will fix that. Um, okay, that's all the side notes. Thanks for being here. Grab a beverage, pull up a chair and enjoy listening to our conversation with Dr. Jell Cortez. My name is Bruce Reyes Chow, and this is BRC and Friends. Each episode, my co-host and I chat with activists, artists, academics, and adventurers to discuss politics, faith, pop culture, technology, and as you will discover, pretty much everything that pops into our heads. This is basically an excuse for us to hang out with friends and colleagues and riff about things that matter. Welcome to BRC and Friends. I'm really excited about this episode for Filipino American History Month. And again, I, as you've heard, history, it's about the heritage. So we're really looking at a lot of different things that have happened uh, in the Filipino American community. And uh, today we welcome Jill Cortez from Lead Filipino, who I have never met before. I saw you, picked you up on Instagram and some other things when I moved to San Jose and trying to kind of get connected. My sense is we have a lot of common friends from San Francisco, PEP, and, you know, Filipino American National Historical Society, all those kind of awesome organizations. Uh, but we'll get into that. But first, we're going to introduce ourselves. Uh, again, my name is Bruce Reyes Chow. I use he, him pronouns. And, and I'm in uh, San Jose, California. Amy Kim, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, Amy Kim, Prince Parks, she, her pronouns. All right, thank you. And Joe, why don't you introduce yourself, share your pronouns, your preferred pronouns, and then a little bit about whatever you want us to know about you, and then what the heck is Lead Filipino? Go for it. <laughs> Marvelous. And if my connection to you is through Instagram, please forgive anything that I post. I would say it's a full and accurate representation of who I am if you're watching my stories. And it is not beyond me to post videos and photos of me flipping the camera off. Definitely cathartic. It's Shocking. a way of self-expression on my Instagram. So if anyone finds me through Instagram, thank you for choosing to proceed to make this in-person connection and invite me to share a bit about myself and lead Filipino and the community that I am of and that I work with. So a pleasure to be here with both of you. Angelica, Jell Cortez, she, her, her pronouns, joining you all from Ohlone land or modern day San Jose. And I, daughter, a partner, a sister, a friend, a cousin, and I solidly think of myself as a community scholar, a cultural worker, a civic innovator, a strategist, a gritty nonprofit person, and someone with an interest in public policy. Public policy not to 
ever run for public office. I think folks get it twisted because if you look at my background, I spent the first part of my career about 10 years working in politics and worked for local legislators at the state level and quickly understood that wasn't really where I believed my gifts could be best shared with folks and soon found out just the deep connections to community organizing, systems change, racial equity work, and found myself coming back to nonprofit community-based work. So in terms of other fun things about me, I am a poor (laughs) example of work-life balance. I'm always doing things and activities that revolve around people or purpose, communities, Lead Filipino, which I'll talk about in a second. And I'm someone that feels very strongly about not just serving folks that are just trying to survive in one of the highest cost regions in the country, California, the sixth largest economy in the world, finding ourselves wading through the middle of an affordability crisis, getting eaten up by inflation, gas prices rising astronomically, living in this culture of home ownership being a fleeting thing that we can only dream about. So I'm someone who cares very deeply and spends a lot of my time around culturally responsive services and programs, but also how to connect that into financial literacy and economic empowerment and helping our folks translate that knowledge into action, whether or not that's investment or it is becoming an owner of your own business, uh, having joint ventures, group economics, helping folks to sharpen, fine-tune, retool, and develop their own set of skills, whether or not that's in the trades or in a specific vocation, but feel very strongly around working in those spaces. And in my spare time, I enjoy sleeping, reading, <laughs> going to music festivals. The other hour of your day that you're not uh, kicking ass in the community. I have to throw that in. I was like, yeah, so in like, my spare time, I like doing these things too. Exactly. Well, part of this podcast really is like everybody, you know, I think, folks who are in the justice world are terrible, generally speaking, at work life, whatever that I mean, look, I don't even know what that word means. But and so but we often squeeze other things in or community and joy and excitement happens in the midst of it. And so part of it is like, it's not just this one thing, but you do other stuff. Now, where did you grow up? Just curious, did you grow up in this area? Or what's home for you overall? I grew up in the Bay Area. If you think of Oakland and you go about an hour east, I grew up in a city called Pittsburgh, California, aka P-World, right next to Antioch and Concord. So I went to elementary, junior high, and high school in Pittsburgh. Okay. So I'm Stockton. I come out of Stockton, Sacramento, was in San Francisco for a long time. So that's where my uh, where my respect. And, and Amy Kim, where'd you grow up? The hard streets of Salt Lake City, Utah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm laughing. No, you should be laughing because I was like, y'all have like edges. And I'm like, I was the girl. I mean, I will say my edge was the homogeneous community of the LDS populated Salt Lake City, Utah. So there you go. <laughs> Well, and it's funny, that. though, because your kids uh, do seem a little streetwise. You've lived in other places, so it's not as if... Uh, we moved them to Cleveland, Ohio. We moved them to Cleveland, Ohio. <laughs> we were very aware of what was going Were you like, they're going to spend their formative years in Cleveland? <laughs> oh, no. We were like, if we don't get them out now, they're never going to get them. And so we moved them at age 11 and 13. That's awesome. Oh, my goodness. Uh, okay, so tell us about Lee Filipino. 
you're the executive director, and and again, uh, those listening, we'll put all the links in the in the show notes so you can follow them on on all the things. But uh, tell us a little bit about what you're doing. You have some amazing stuff going on, and I mean, just there's so much, so many things y'all are doing. But tell us in general about Lead Filipino, and then kind of maybe two or three things that are going on that you want folks to know about. Absolutely. And I recently was called the executive vibe director, so I'm wearing hey, that very proudly. That's the best. That's, that's the best. Time. You should put that on a card. That should <laughs> be in your bio. On a business card, EVD. EVD. Yes. And so it can be for so many things. So I. Well, Lead Filipino, we are a nonprofit organization based out of San Jose, California. And since 2015, we have been really focused on three areas, civic participation, developing our grassroots leadership, and creating pathways for Philams in this locality and larger region, and now statewide, we carry that mission. Pathways around direct action, whether or not that's sharing community-based health information, or it's work around local activation and economic development. We're doing a lot with Delano Manungs Park, which has yet to be opened on the east side of San Jose. And I had the idea to start an organization back in 2013 when I was shuffling through papers and cleaning out my one of my closets recently. I saw a project from graduate school where I was asked to complete some type of pamphlet on a fictitious program. And at the time it was this concept and not a novel one, but a concept for a community-based organization around developing Philam leadership within a number of different spheres. I'm a student of ethnic studies. So I studied political science, which I call the only true science and ethnic studies. And just knowing at a young age and being instilled with such an immense level of pride in understanding not just our struggles, but our contributions, our inventions, our experiences, knowing that our hands have touched innovations, again, inventions and physical environments that we experience here in America as Philams, and that our voices and those legacies we are all a part of and taking such pride in that. So to fast forward, 2013 knew I wanted to start something, wasn't entirely sure of what that would look like. And having attended San Jose State from my undergrad and receiving my politicization at 18, 19, volunteering for one too many, either student-run volunteer initiatives, going to San Jose State and being in college at a time where the economy was tanking, the recession was real. I was always broke anyway. So I was like, "Mm, not sure if a recession (laughs) matters, already had nothing. But Obama, right, going through this historical presidential election, shifting the conversations people had, opening our minds, stretching our perspective to understand that we could see ourselves in those spaces, changed my major to poli sci, got involved with a lot of arts justice and restorative justice for our Filipino Manongs. So I did a lot in those years. And even when I moved on and went to work for legislators and tried my life as a legislative staffer, I was a little bored. I was like, this doesn't move me. I don't see any Phil Ams sitting in these multi-million dollar conversations with lobbyists coming through and trying to talk with the electeds that I was working for. I wanted to know where our people were why we weren't in those budget conversations. And so because I was very connected into San Jose community for many years, specifically Philam groups, 
I was able to look around and understand where an org that was more civic focused could have a space. And so I called some friends together. We met at Panera Bread, Jollibee, Goldilocks, whatever. <laughs> you know, we have to meet around food. And that's, you know, very much a, you know, cultural hallmark of Kim, our practice. Have, have you ever but... had Jollibee's? When you visited us, did we? No. Did we go no. to Jollibee's? Wait, oh. really? You can tell me you're sorry. missing out. Sorry. We'll okay, to, well, yeah, it'll be great when I'm in San Jose next if you could take me, because apparently Bruce only takes me to both. <laughs> How could you have never taken Amy Kim to Jollibee? Hmm. I, well, like I, was living in, I was living in Palo Alto at the time, so. Because you were living in Palo Alto. I was living in Palo Alto at the time. <laughs> Okay, those of you that can't see Jill's face, mm -hmm. she was like, Ew, there are lovely people in Palo Alto. I, yeah, I did three years there and learned a lot. I mean, that's a whole other podcast. Anyway, keep going. So you started, okay, yes. you started leaving. Jolly you know. Bees, meeting around food. Yeah, so that was late 2015. I met one of our, you know, founding organizers at a Fonz meeting, a Fonz Santa Clara Valley meeting. And she was pissed off at a local city for not having at this local city in particular that has a very large philam population in the county we reside in for not having any philam literature children's books in their public library so she was like finding her way at library commission meetings and like shaking her fists at them and i was like that's the type of energy i want because she was she was bringing up at the fonz meetings how can we advocate right how can we advocate to get more representation of our history on these shelves to be publicly available for students and families in a city that has a majority fill-in population. And so that type of spirit, that type of energy, there were four of us in the beginning and we just started hosting events. So a lot of folks are curious now, looking at us from the outside, how did you start? What did that process look What did it look like? And to be honest, we are still rolling through the punches. I am right now on so many phone calls trying to figure out our insurance. And some of the agents working with us are definitely judging us. They're like, you haven't had like workers' compensation <laughs> insurance? And I'm like, no, girl. <laughs> that's, no, that's we're, we have been focused on... Yeah. Like, why am I getting close from you? Like, yeah, I need some guidance. But, you know, sometimes I take that as very flattering that there are these assumptions that we would have had all of these professional items in order. But for us, it has been the reverse. We have provided the community-based services, whether or not these are pure health educational workshops. We know that intimate partner violence is a big issue, at least in, in the feedback that we got from an Asian health assessment, specifically with Filipina X and O communities in our county, chronic disease management, diet and lifestyle. So even if we're civic focused, we recognize that health touches all of us. Higher ed only touches a percentage of our country. Not everyone works in tech or wants to work in tech, but health will touch us at some point in our lives. So we connect community-based health and make referrals to folks that might be needing mental behavioral health services, just well-being and wellness integrated into our work around voter outreach and education and Filipino English materials, our advocacy campaigns, the work we do around educating folks for ethnic studies and police accountability, some of the state laws that we've been behind that have been passed. It it all kind of groups together. But overall, we're a nonprofit based out of San Jose, Doing and stuff. we are do, composed do, of... Get, getting shit done. Yeah. So I know you don't, we don't We're have a lot of time. 
we don't have a lot of time, but tell me a few. As I, if anybody just goes to Lee Filipino's Instagram and you just scroll through like all the, you know, it, it, it looks like you're doing a like you are a huge organization because you're doing all of these things, especially during Filipino American History Month. And again, folks can go over and do that. But if you had two or three things that you want to put a shout out about this month, things that are going on, we'll make sure we put that in there and, and share that as we share the show out. What are a few of the things Lee Filipino is doing this month? So one, our Philam History Month series, which will be a series of different family-friendly, ends by nine, community-based cultural events and programs. One, we have our Filipino flag raising and lighting ceremony at San Jose City Hall coming up, and I can share that information with both of you. But that'll be uh, very special because City Hall will be lit up in Philippines flag colors. This is an annual tradition where we have cultural dances, performances. We have the Consul General coming down from San Francisco to speak. And we raise the Filipino flag alongside the California and United States flag to celebrate that history. And then we have our Fam Jam Festival that will be on October 21st, so that following week. And this is a collaboration with a number of other Philam orgs out here. A night of Philam performers, talent, food trucks, just conviviality and culture and live art and craft merchants and vendors. And we're ending the month with a fam poetry slam event at a smaller kind of vintage shop in downtown San Jose. So really trying to just highlight different small businesses and public spaces. So we really emphasize a lot of activating public space and keeping our events accessible near transit as well. But with respect to just ongoing campaigns and what we will be working on in the future, I could stay on a few more minutes. We work deeply through a lot of our coalitions and our relationships regionally and across the state. So one initiative that we will be working on regionally is a huge, first-of-its-kind, Santa Clara County-based action study specifically looking at Philams in this county around their cancer awareness and prevention. So how often are they getting medical screenings? If they identify as, you know, woman, female, how often are they getting their mammograms? What do their habits look like in terms of exercise and diet? Because the despite us being overrepresented on the front lines as nurses and medical health professionals, literature around our health outcomes and our access to that care is scant in terms of medical research and understanding of our community. And so we were contacted by Stanford, who we're partnering with about two and a half years ago. They realized that they had glaring gaps with respect to not just health and racial disparities in systems of health, but specifically as Stanford is a huge, <laughs> a huge player in this region, really wanting to develop their relationships. So that's one. Two, we're working on a statewide ethnic studies kind of educator collaborative and program with the Filipino American Educators Association of California. Ethnic studies is part and parcel to who we are. Many of our organizers and our board members are students of ethnic studies. But California, as you both might know, has passed a number of laws recently. One specifically, Assembly Bill 101, makes ethnic studies a California high school graduation requirement. However, there's language in the bill that removes the school from any type of liability and places that responsibility on the teacher. So if an ethnic, a teacher teaching ethnic studies teaches the subject matter in a way where a parent 
can feel like it's denigrating or prejudicial or discriminatory toward one community, right? They can go after that teacher and sue them. And obviously their licensure is on the line, their livelihood. So this partnership with FAAC will be trying to equip teachers and set them up for success and not it's annoying, right? But just providing them with the resources and the information that a lot of these school districts are saying they don't have budgets to support. So how are we coming together as a community to offer, again, culturally responsive interventions to support our educators because they're very vulnerable, just generally speaking, and housing and affordability out here. But yeah, just one of the... That's awesome dicier parts of that law sure no that's great it's funny but uh, both of, i have three children two of them are in college right now and they're both ethnic studies majors one one's gonna uh, you know apply to be a possibly apply for graduate school at state and do a continue ethnic studies and you know outside of the world we're like what will you do and i'm like there's like lots of stuff to do right now i was an asian american studies major way back in the day like i don't you were not born yet is my guess but uh thank you for calling me things, young i appreciate things that. have certainly right. changed <laughs> I love you to pieces, but you're old. I am old. No, there are, there are moments. Older than me. We were just in a meeting. We were just in a meeting together, and we made some references. And there were some people in the room like, "We have no idea what you're talking about. You are so oh, old." But anyway, it, it, we were singing. It is. We were singing Wilson Phillips. We died. We died. But you know, I think it's so so poignant that it's it's stupid that you have to go in and tell people that telling the truth about our history may be may make people feel badly about themselves, right? And that telling the truth is actually what you're advocating for. You're not actually advocating for anything but the truth, right? The truth about what history is. And it's, it's, I'm so glad that you're in that space, but how ridiculous is it that, you know, now that is what the legislation needs to be about, is about how do we tell the truth about history and help you know, generations upon generations of families and kids recognize that they're not the stain on history, but there are other stains on history and, and what happens. And so it's so important for you to have a presence in a community where you already have a presence, but to elevate that and show up in ways like that woman that you saw, right, with her hand up and, and screaming, right, to be able to say, like, I'm going to do this and hopefully model this for other people to keep doing this, because that's the only way we're going we're gonna to get these things done. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, it's awesome. In California, oh, I was just going to quickly say, for all that California does right with respect to just different investments that the state is making in its people, you know, legislative moves, I was a part of a landmark law that was signed back in 2020, and it was a corporate board diversity law. What it did was it mandated that publicly held companies that are based in California, that they look at their boards and they would have been mandated to have, based on the number of directors on their board, a certain proportion of folks from minoritized communities. And that was overturned by our California Supreme Court. So it's a very litigious state. I don't put it beyond some of these parents in the Palo Altos. I just had to say it. I just had to say it. <laughs> I wouldn't put it beyond. I wouldn't put it. I would not put it beyond some of these parents in these affluent. I love the snaps. Thank you. In some of these affluent cities and communities to be ready and positioned, right? And we're talking public schools only for this, but to be ready to go after an educator that they feel is misrepresenting 
a side of a story. And these are yeah, educators yeah. that look like us <laughs> that it's are of our the, community. It, it'll be that. And then if there is the bold educator, like in Redding in Northern California, in what we call became Jefferson County, where they tried to split off part of California and the state of Jefferson, Jefferson, the state of Jefferson. <laughs> but like it, if some, mm-hmm. like I, my guess is, there will be very few educators that are willing to take that risk up there because it's gonna, like that's like life and death stuff up there. But yeah, no, I think yeah. it's going to hit everywhere. So I know you, I know we got to wrap, but I got a quick question for you. One of the things that caught m- my attention recently, and one of the Amy Kim and I serve on a board together. It's a group called More Light Presbyterians that deals with LGBTQIA, not just affirmation but justice and figuring out how and equity in our we have people in our lives that are uh, in that space. But you, you all are doing this the next Locked By Summit. Talk about that for just a little bit and uh, what that's about. You know. I can't talk about Lock By without talking about my own personal kind of tie to that real quick. It's so funny because I am queer. I identify very openly as a lesbian. And it's interesting because with Lead Filipino, even when I introduce and talk about myself, Pinay, you know, Filipina, this, that. And when the summer of 2020 was happening for all of us and we were all sitting and, and responding to what we were seeing, showing up for our community, supporting one another. There was a student until this day, I'm so glad that he did what he did. And he basically, he checked me and he said, why aren't you doing anything around pride? Do you realize a number of like queer identifying folks join Lead Filipino because of you? I was dumbstruck and I did not ever think of, you know, this non-visible part of who I am, but very visible if you know me right. and you see me in the flesh. I don't hide any of that. But I was like, damn, that really hit me. <laughs> and the Lock By Summit, yes, we've been doing this now. We're going on our third year. The group that powers our Lock By Summit is our Queer Midi. And our Queer Midi is multi-generational, which we're figuring out because we have 16 and 17-year-olds in that space. And then we also have some folks that are older that might be going through the coming out process. So it's really caused us to think about, or it's really pushed us to think, how can we create discrete spaces where it might be a little more age appropriate based on some of these youngins, they're like, I know exactly who I am. I'm not here. I'm not coming to you all for that. Like my identity, (laughs) like I know what's up. And it's interesting to kind of like navigate in that space, even if some of us are still as organizers, facilitators, trying to find that out for ourselves. And so Lock By is actually the brainchild of two of our organizers, Daniel Lazo and Celeste Francisco. And for me, I told them, whatever you want to do, I'll raise the money and we'll make it happen. But that story about that student calling me out, you know, two and a half years before really shook me because I had not reflected deeply enough. And if no one's telling you that as well, like a lot of And then I paused and I was like, damn, like two thirds of us are queer in this org. And it's just not (laughs) something I ever thought about. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. But deep calls to deep. So that, you know, that's going to be a huge thing. I love, that was one of the things I read about was the literal translation of the Bible word. I don't know if you want to share about both. I think it is so beautiful. Yeah, no, thank you for bringing that up. So Lock By was inspired by an artist and a poet and activist. So it's basically an anagram. If you take the words, Lock By means journey, but if you take the letters and you flip them, they also spell bakla, as we know is the Tagalog word for gay. And our whole intention in our mission around Lock By is to really spread this message of of reclaiming that like power and looking at our queerness as magic 
and that bakla is part of a journey and we're always on this continuous journey and you know we also get saucy with it like sexuality is fluid you can come as you are we are not sitting with judgment if you are older and you are now showing up authentically the way you want or you you know if you like one of our students said it well, like, call me whatever pronoun you want. Like, I'll respond. It doesn't even matter. And I just love yeah. that, right? Like, I love that vibrancy. And so, yeah, Lakbai and Bakla, they're inversely related. And, yeah, so removing from that shame and that space of being told, you know, we're evil, we're abnormal, and really kind of raising up that confidence individually and collectively in this larger community and, you know, showing folks that are queer identifying, questioning, intersex, just all members of community, non-binary, non-gender conforming, maybe coming out, unsure. Like, you don't need to have it all understood. You don't need to have it all figured out because we're all just doing this together on a journey. Yeah. Yeah. I always give a shout out to my home church, Trinity Presbyterian Church, that I never knew that Christians were so shitty around LGBTQA things because my church was not growing up. I mean, it was this, and then I stepped out and it's like, oh yeah, that's, and, and I mean, it's really interesting to kind of grow up in a pretty open and affirming space and then be like, oh, that's not how everybody is. And so, it, I mean, it's, uh, and I love that for me and my family. And so uh, Trinity Presbyterian Church, Stockton, California, uh, shout out. All right. Okay, I'll check that out. I'll check that out. We're going to end up today. So your question for today is, what's something that's brought you joy in the last, I don't know, week or two? Uh, Just something that we want to speak some hope and joy into the world. What's something that has uh, brought you joy? And I'm going (laughs) to, I'm going to say, Amy Kim, you go first. I'll go. And then, Joe, you'll have the last, you can can answer last, but go for it, Amy Kim. Uh, Thanks. So we did mention that we are working together on Planet Presbyterian and we got to meet. Um, and they actually met in the spring, and I got COVID, and they were meeting 15 minutes away from me. So for this extrovert, I was like, it's like the saddest thing ever. After these, like, almost three years of not seeing people, and they're my people, that I actually got to see them. And so we met in Nashville, and one of the things I just recognized about part of who I am and how I experience love is just the physicality of being around people and that first interaction I have a dear friend Andrea who's from Chicago it was like we were little puppies or something separated at birth because we just had to touch each other and we're like in line to get tacos and just still needed to touch one another but just that joy and I think that is you know very common around BIPOC folks is just that need to be physically near one another and express that in whatever ways makes sense for us. So that just brought me a lot of joy and I feel felt more grounded in my body because I do, I'm just around white people a lot. And so to have, you know, people who have a lot of history with me and understand I'm have AF and I do what I do and they still honor and love and respect me, just love it was it was lovely so i a you know, little piece of joy so our family does a a zoom call every week two in college ones uh, they're on their own and we were all in different places this past wednesday and not all different states but different cities and uh we've moved to the point where we have moved into all adult relationships with our children which has been so and our, our youngest is kind of the last one to step into that space and afterwards my wife and i are like i think she wanted to talk with us huh 
Like we were, we just had these great, it was just, you know, very just, you know, and then I'm putting it on a podcast. So it was wonderful. That brought me a lot of, a lot of joy. So Annie, I love you. So glad you could be, you can hang out. Love you too, Annie. Anyway, so, yes, uh, uh, Joe, what about you? What brought you joy uh, recently? Yeah. Thank you both for sharing. I love that. Mine is more, a, sounds like a simpleton, but I was at Target and I walked past the pet costumes, bought <laughs> the dog a pet costume in September and dressed her up in it and took hella photos and videos oh. and laughed, laughed till I had tears in my eyes. I dressed her in a stegosaurus costume and took <laughs> too many pictures. So that really brought me joy. I was like, you're getting a second costume in October. <laughs> That's amazing. What's your dog's name? What's the breed? Yeah. So her name is Soul, like heart and soul, but she was actually named after Soul Lovely, which is a big lesbian party that takes place in Oakland <laughs> monthly. And she is a Chigi, which is a Chihuahua and a Corgi mix. All right. Well, there's a lot of joy being spread. Uh, a lot of good stuff happening in all of our corners. Thank you, Jill, for joining us today. Um, again, everybody take a look in the show notes for all of the, I'll, I'll go through and make sure all the links are in there. Uh, make sure you follow and support. If you got money to give, give your money, give your follows, give your shares, all that kind of stuff to lead Filipino. And again, go to all the podcast places, rate, review, subscribe. Uh, make sure that you, again, this doesn't all happen for free. So would appreciate you going to Patreon and uh, becoming a patron for all the things that I'm doing in the world. So again, thank you all for being here and we'll see you next time on BRC and Friends. BRC and Friends was hosted and produced by Bruce Reyes Chow. Co-hosts were Jorge Bautista, Mickey Scott Bay Jones, Amy Kim Karemis Parks, and Laura Monaco Heifetz. And the theme music was composed and recorded by Marissa Magdal Laron. Please head over to Patreon and toss us a few bucks, and feel free to connect with any of us via the show notes. And lastly, please don't make me beg. Take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe to BRC and Friends wherever you listen to podcasts. Until the next episode, thanks for listening to BRC and Friends. <laughs>